Mr. Speaker. You're at the intersection of business and politics. This is the 14th and G podcast from Melman Consulting. Now, here's our host, Dean Hinkson. Thank you for sending your podcast out to 14th and G. I am your host, Dean Hinkson. There's a presidential proclamation that reads, in respect and recognition of the contributions our veterans and their families, caregivers, and survivors have made to the cause of peace and freedom around the world, the Congress has provided that November 11th of each year shall be set aside as a legal public holiday to honor our nation's veterans. And on this Veterans Day, I would like to devote this podcast to an issue that goes to the heart of honoring the commitment that Veterans Day stands for, the benefits our veterans have earned. You know, it's a topic that gets a lot of attention here in Washington, but it never really gets enough. And one reason for that is the sheer complexity of the system that administers those benefits. That's why I'm really pleased to be joined today by a couple of experts in the field of veterans benefits. Let's see if we can break this down a bit, and I hope it's helpful to any of our listeners who have served this nation in our armed forces. Chris Attig spent over a decade in the United States Army, retired as a captain in 2004. Having practiced law for 20 years, Chris represents veterans from initial claim through the federal appeals court process, practicing benefits law with the firm of Attic Current Steel, out of Little Rock, Arkansas. And Brett Buchanan, also an Army veteran, is a VA-accredited claims agent who guides veterans through the disability appeals process as director of Awesome Veterans Disability Appeals Services. Brett leads a team of VA-accredited claims agents who guide veterans from first appeal through the Board of Veterans Appeals here in Washington, D.C. Chris, Brett, welcome to 14th and G, and thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you, Dean, for having us. Really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk about this on, on Veterans Day. It's, it is the right time of the year, and uh, but it's a commitment that goes, uh, extends the whole year round and, and through the life of our veterans. You know, guys, let me start with a, sort of an obvious question, I think, for me and folks who aren't steeped in the veterans benefits system. And I think of my own father in this regard. He's a, he's a Vietnam veteran. Uh, he's he, he was exposed to Agent Orange, has had some, has had some health impacts from that. Uh, gets a lot of health services uh, from the VA. He's I know he's filled out paperwork. Uh, I know he makes a you know a sort of a quarterly trip uh, up to up to Durham, North Carolina, where the where the Veterans Hospital is to have some things done. But I, I've never seen him experience the need for a, a third party advocate. And I'm just curious, of you why does a veteran need any kind of a third party to access their benefits? Yeah, that's a great question, Dean. I'll, I'll take a quick stab at it, then I'll turn it over to Chris, because um, I, I get that question a lot in my line of work, and I'm sure Chris does as well. You know, there's a, there's a couple of, of answers to that, um, and I'll do my best to make it concise. The average veteran, when they file, they, they may get awarded with no problems, and that's what we want, right? We want the process to work the way it's supposed to work, um, but it doesn't always do that. And when I say that is 
I, I think the average person does not understand, and I, and I will say the average veteran doesn't understand the complexity of the VA compensation system, otherwise known as service-connected disability. It is a complex claims system. Each issue or disability is its own claim technically. So the left knee is a separate claim than the right knee and can have a separate outcome. Wow. Okay. And so your post 9-11 veteran is filing on average for nine to 11 different disabilities. That's nine to 11 yeses or nos. And if they get a yes, then VA assigns what's called a rating, a percentage supposed to reflect how bad it is. Okay. And so you get this, I call it a Rubik's cube of outcomes every time an application is submitted. And it's unique to that veteran and, and what evidence they have, what their service reflects of what they did and what they have currently going on with their disabilities. To kind of pivot out a little bit, you know, this is a federal benefit. There are other federal agencies that administer benefits um, or other types of claims. You can file your own taxes if you want, and most people can probably do it, but a lot of people do reach out to a professional to help them file their taxes because of the complexity involved. Social security disability often gets compared to what we do because it's also another federal disability program. There's advocates in that space as well because of the complexity involved. So it's, while I would love for every veteran to be able to do it on their own and, and get the, the positive outcome, first time go, as we call it, and we called it in the army, um, it just doesn't happen. And right. so, you know, having someone that knows how it's supposed to work can be very helpful. Right, but it's hard to add to that. I would kind of shift the focus a little bit and kind of look back to my days leaving the service. And, and I left as a, a captain, I had a college degree um, and field artillery officer. And, and by all rights, um, I was supposed to be pretty well situated coming out of the military. Um, but I was dealing at that time with, with what I now understand to be untreated post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and was having a real hard time keeping things together. I spent probably, uh, you know, five to six months homeless. Uh, well, I had a home. Uh, it was a 1994 uh, white Ford Ranger. Um, <laughs> not the King Cab. So me and a dog were squeezed into that thing. Um, and I was having a hard time keeping, keeping things together. Um, I, I'm not ashamed to admit now uh, that, that back then I was drinking too much. I look back on those days and I think there's so much help that I needed coming out of service. And I really had nowhere to find that help. Um, and, and there's so much going on. The VA has so many great benefits. The home loan that the VA offers is, is the best in, in the United States in terms of home loan opportunities. There's housing programs, there's education, there's disability benefits, there's health benefits, there's job retraining, there's all these different benefits and they all pivot um, in many ways off of this claim for disability compensation. Um, and so if you take that veteran who, you know, by all rights compared to other veterans, I was in a far better situation um, than them, because we, when I came off of active duty, it was, uh, we were not in um, a post 9-11 scenario at that time. So it was, you know, I had a lot more resources available to me, but at the same time, you know, a lot of vets coming out now, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get their lives together. They're coming out of a the military. They're trying to, you know, make that um, integration, reintegration into civilian life. And the last thing that they need to do is try to navigate their way through this process that Brent described, which is, uh, I mean, I'll use the word Byzantine, um, but probably the best metaphor for it is is uh, is an old Johnny Cash song, uh, one piece at a time. Um, started <laughs> back at FDR, and you know the mistakes right. and problems happen. That's the way the world works. Everybody gets that. But instead of fixing the system, we kind of put band aids on it 
uh, for really about 90 years. And so now what we have is, you know, uh, a 69 Buick Chevy Ford uh, with a 73 engine. I don't remember how the actual song goes. I probably should have for this podcast. <laughs> I, I could have sung it for you, Dean, but that's the reason that a lot of people hire advocates is that right. they really want somebody to take care of stuff so they can focus on what's important to them, getting a job, getting some health care, in some cases, getting sober or getting clean. Uh, in other cases, raising and reconnecting with children they may not have seen in several years. The last thing they need to be doing is trying to navigate this Byzantine process. Yeah, it's that's a great metaphor, uh, Chris, and, and it's a powerful story. And thank you for sharing your experience there. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about what it is you guys do. Because you're in different areas of the veterans benefit space. And Chris, as you said, you know, the, the, the Veterans Administration is is one of the largest bureaucracies here in Washington, D.C. And Chris, I'll start with you. You're an attorney. Uh, you practice law. I know uh, you don't necessarily have to have an attorney to navigate, but to, to navigate the system itself. But do you deal with uh, you deal with more complex claims with things that are in court? I mean, you, you bring things all the way up through uh, the Federal Court of Appeals. We do. Um, so our firm is here in Little Rock, Arkansas. The firm is at Current Steel. And we've been around, as you mentioned, since, uh, you know, 2007 doing veterans law. I've been practicing law since 2003. Um, we do, the type of work we do is really focus in on, on what we refer to as underrepresented veterans. Um, and, and we kind of shepherd them through the claims process. We don't do initial claims because I really you know, I'm a former basher of VSOs. You know, if you look back at the stuff I've written online eight, 10 years ago, I was not a big fan of the veteran service officers, but doing this work has really kind of changed my perspective. And so we leave that space uh, for veteran service officers because they have access to uh, benefits at the state and local county levels that we simply can't manage, you know, nationwide. Um, and, and, and so what we do is when those veterans get denied, and we're specifically talking about homeless veterans, the veterans of color, uh, female service members and veterans who identify as queer. These are the folks that kind of fall through the cracks of the VA system. And so we kind of try to, to pick them as they fall through the cracks and, and help them navigate it um, through. But we really focus on everything. Soup, I guess the old saying, I'm, I'm going to you know, show my age here, soup to nuts. Uh, you know, we can handle claims and have handled them um, at the claims process on a pro se basis. Uh, we help with the appeals to the Board of Veterans Appeals, the Veterans Court in D.C., the Federal Circuit in D.C., and, and have had the honor of being able to support a couple of amicus briefs to the United States Supreme Court. I don't think the work we do as attorneys uh, is any more complicated or different than the work Brett does. I really think the difference um, is, is the commitment uh, to continuing the education and continuing the knowledge. And, 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 and we'll talk about this at some point, but I think that the accreditation process uh, one of the nice things about it is that it, it has this system built in where you have to keep up to speed on the law. You have to keep, and it changes so fast, Dean. It changes so fast. So, you know, have to keep up to speed. And, and, and that's really the difference. It's not necessarily lawyer uh, versus accredited representative or VSO. It's a commitment to, to staying educated and keeping up to speed in this area of the law. That's interesting. And, and so, Brett, you are a VA accredited uh, claims agent. Uh, you oversee a team of VA accredited agents. What does that mean to be accredited? Unlike Chris, you don't have a law degree. You're not in a law firm. Uh, you do some of the same work. What What does it mean to be accredited? Sure. No, that's a, that's a great question, Dean. So the VA Office of General Counsel is the one that accredits representatives. Okay. So they act as an equivalent to a state 
bar for licensed attorneys. Okay. And so you have to be accredited with the VA Office of General Counsel in order for your power of attorney to be recognized by the VA itself. So if an attorney is not accredited with the VA Office of General Counsel and you go to that uh, general attorney and say, hey, I have this VA case, I want you to help me. If that attorney enters in and they say, oh, it's just like any, you know, my state court, I'm just gonna enter in, I give them my bar number, good to go. VA is going to say, sorry, you're not on our accredited list. We can't accept your power of attorney. This veteran is unrepresented at this time. Like many federal agencies, the VA does allow non-attorneys to represent veterans within their adjudication process. And specifically, the VA recognizes three groups of representatives. They recognize attorneys. So that's how Chris, uh, you know, came to the VA Office General Counsel and he is accredited as an attorney through them. They recognize claims agents. That's that's myself. Um, and then they recognize what, uh, like Chris referenced, veteran service organizations. So attorneys and agents were recognized at, at an individual level by the VA. So when I enter in on a case and the veteran gets their decision, they'll say, power of attorney, Brett Buchanan. Um, and same thing for Chris. Uh, they recognize it attorneys as individuals. Veteran service organizations, they were kind of the original and accredited uh, representatives in this space. And so that's your disabled American veterans, your veterans of foreign war, VFW, um, and American Legion are kind of the big three national ones. A lot of states have their own veterans commissions or different state-sponsored VSOs. And so the, the veteran service organizations are are very prolific and they, they've been around for a long time. And so those are the three categories. And so I fall into the claims agent category and um, and such. So I hope that answers your question yeah, it <laughs> and provides some clarity. It, well, it answers the question and it, and it raises some questions. There's some controversy in the space, folks that are non-accredited, that are mm-hmm. doing some of the work you guys do. What's happening when folks are seeking help? I mean, Maybe they know, maybe maybe they don't. Chris, you you raised the analogy of 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 tax preparation. Pretty sure you got to be a licensed CPA to do somebody's taxes. But what do we see out there with with folks that are not accredited operating in the veterans benefit space? Yeah, I'll I'll tackle this real quick, and then I'll let Chris follow up uh, from his perspective. So, no mistake about it, when you represent a veteran for this process, you are practicing law, okay? And normally when you practice law, you have to be licensed in the state that you're practicing in. Federal agency adjudication is an exception or because of the supremacy clause, they it's a federal, it's a federal practice. So it trumps the state oversight, okay? But the federal agency itself has its own internal VA calls it accreditation, but the other agencies that I've, you know, we were mentioning before, the IRS, Social Security, Trademark and Patent, these different FDA, these different federal agencies all have these adjudication processes within, and they oversee their representatives. Because when you represent somebody, there's a level of responsibility, both ethically and and knowledge-based wise, that you have to attain, right? Because you're you're the expert. You're, that's why you're being retained as the representative. So this is really a, a problem that's already been 
solved, right? In, in a way, in, at all levels, local government, state government, and federal government, that this idea of representing somebody, whether it's like a real estate agent, uh, they have to be licensed when you're doing real estate transactions at the state level. Uh, if you're going to get a traffic ticket fixed at the state level, you hire an attorney, right? So all that's, it, it, that kind of, this problem's already been solved. So what, what's happening in this space is individuals that are saying, well, we're, we'll assist you with your claim, but they're not accredited. What they get to do is reap the benefits, which is charge a fee and make a profit off that, but they have no response. They don't bear the responsibility that a representative does, that it has already been determined that if you're going to rep represent somebody, you have to have some responsibility invested into this. Because if, if you do it wrong, um, you miss a deadline, you do things improper, there's got to be some penalties on you as the representative as well. What, what's happening is unac these unaccredited um, individuals are basically providing representation services, but they're not doing it well. They're doing it improperly in some examples. As of now, the way it stands is just, it's very hard for VA to um, enforce penalties upon these individuals. So I'll let Chris, Chris chime in. And, yeah. Chris, is that something you're seeing in, in your practice of, of unaccredited folks working in the benefits space and to the detriment of, of veterans? Sure, sure, absolutely. I think probably, you know, foundationally, I think Brett made a really strong point that can't be overstated is that essentially when you're an accredited representative, a veteran service officer, um, or an attorney that's accredited to represent veterans by the VA, you are practicing law. Um, and, and that's really important to understand because as I mentioned earlier, all these benefits are interconnected. And so if I get a disability rating for, say, my PTSD or my traumatic brain injury, um, that could affect the you know priority group of my health care. It could uh, affect my access to HUD housing. It could affect my uh, ability or, or, or certain you know aspects of the educational program and the vocational rehab training. And so at our law firm, when somebody comes in and says, hey, I want to get an increased rating for my PTSD, we're going to take a real holistic view. And we're going to say, if you get that, this is the consequence to your health care. This is the consequence to your uh, job retraining, to your voc rehab, all those different sorts of things. And we'll be able to talk. That's what lawyers do is we advise people. And, and that's, you know, using that as a foundation, the next step is that the legal profession is, is one of the few professions that, that regulates itself. Um, and we are bound when we swear into the bar as lawyers. And Brett, even, you know, Though he's not a licensed lawyer, he's an accredited VA rep, and so he's bound by many of these same rules, too, uh, by mere fact of, of getting accredited. Um, we have to charge fees that are reasonable, um, and that means, you know, there's 13 factors that go into whether or not a fee is reasonable. Um, and so we are really governed by that. We can also be sued. Uh, if we mess up our client's case, we can be sued not just for the breach of contract under attorney-client contracts, but you know you can go to a state bar and say that this attorney committed malpractice, uh, so negligent. And, and that's the problem. You've got these actors that are coming in uh, to the sphere, uh, into this space. They're, they're kind of bringing these shiny promises of cutting through the VA backlog. And make mo no mistake, if there was somebody that could cut through the VA backlog, I promise you I would have found them by now. Um, I have been into this for, for a very long time, um, and you just can't get through the backlog. The best thing you can do is present your best case uh, to the VA and work within their system. There are no shortcuts, but these shiny promises of shortcuts, they often turn out to be not as shiny. Certain things, you know, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. And a lot of veterans, I've talked with hundreds over the last four or five years of veterans who have found, you know, unaccredited reps with their fingers in their bank account. 
uh, unaccredited reps with, with their fingers in their VA medical records, uh, filing things without their consent, strong arming them when they, you know, don't pay a fee at the end because the fee was six or seven times what they were told it was be. And sometimes it, in most cases can be 60 to 70%. Now, I don't want to say in most cases, in a lot of cases, it can be 60 to 70% of the past due, which is beyond what the VA says is reasonable, uh, even in extreme circumstances. So that's the kind of danger that you see with these unaccredited reps is they are not bound by the same rules that we all are. And they can kind of go rogue, if you will, uh, charge the fees they want. And there is no way to really regulate that behavior in the same way that you regulate an attorney who does poor work. That attorney can lose their license, be suspended uh, or otherwise disciplined. Well, this sounds like uh, this sounds like an issue ripe for uh, congressional oversight. Uh, where where is Congress on this? Are there are there legislative remedies out there being considered, being discussed? There there are two. Um, I think kind of competing, um, and and I'm just going to kind of take it 30,000 30, feet over the battlefield here, Dean, uh, and tell you that there's two. They're they're kind of you know generically referred to as Garden Plus. Um, and if you were to ask me what all those different letters stand for in each of those bills, I would just have to go ahead and you know drop off the podcast because <laughs> um, I gave up acronyms when I left the army. So good for um, you. <laughs> that, but I will tell you that the Guard Act, what it basically does, um, and it, it reinstates the the criminal penalty for uh, individuals who are not accredited to represent veterans. There used to be a criminal penalty that said I can't remember if it was a misdemeanor or felony in, in the past, but um, about five, six years ago, uh, the, the AMA process went through and took away that criminal penalty. And so guard seeks to reinstate it and says, listen, if you're going to represent a veteran and you're not going to get accredited, um, we're going to come after you with the full force of the law. And, and, and you're going to spend some time in jail and you're going to pay some penalties for taking advantage of veterans and their survivors. Nobody should do that. The other side of the table is this act called the PLUS Act, um, and, and I think that basically the, the shortest way to describe the PLUS Act um, is that it simply makes legal what is now illegal. And so I think that kind of begs the question is, what are these business practices that are going on today that the PLUS Act would legalize? And they're the very things that I kind of talked about earlier is unclear contracts, uh, the lack of transparency and how fees are calculated, kind of bait and switch at the end of the, the representation or what they would not call it representation, but at the end of their work. Um, they charge fees that are uh, exorbitant and far beyond what what attorneys could charge. They take. They, I have talked to so many veterans who have gotten uh, benefits from working with these folks, but then get the letter in the mail saying that they owe so much money in past due they simply can't pay it. They were going to use that money to pay for their child's school, for example, uh, or they were going to take care of you know other things that have been you know left behind over the years. And and then they have to turn it over. And if they don't, then they get really there's some really strong armed collection practices that go on with these groups um, to the point where where most veterans just find ways sometimes to take out loans to pay the money um, because they just want them off their back. Um, they also have you know clauses in there about non-disclosure of terms. And so if that person does go to an attorney, our firm has been threatened by a couple of these non-accredited groups saying that we're, we're breaching their non-disclosure act, which that's just simply not something that would happen in a mature um, law firm practice is you're, you're just not going to tell your client that they can't go for a second opinion or go somewhere else. <laughs> right, it's just kind of right. absurd, but that that's kind of the plus act is going to legalize that kind of stuff. And so it's really, I think, kind of dangerous because it's not preying um, on a community that that has defenses built in to be able to stop it. You know, the veterans community um, is largely still very rural population. Uh, there's not a lot of word getting out even here in Arkansas. 
well over 50% of our veterans live, you know, out in the rural parts of the state, don't have access sometimes to broadband internet, don't have information. And then somebody comes in with a shiny process or a shiny promise that they're going to cut through the VA backlog, get them all this money and, and they'll pay, you know, minimal. You know, it's kind of, it, it's, it's disappointing to see these folks taken advantage of and start seeing the suffering they have to go through when those practices should remain illegal. Brett, that uh, that meets with your experience in, in terms of what these legislative remedies are seeking to address or <laughs> not address. Yeah, it it, it does. It, it just to kind of piggyback on on Chris and expand a little bit what, what he was mentioning earlier. When, when you become the power of attorney in a VA case, you you get by by you know with, with that responsibility comes the benefits, right? The benefits are is you get access to the veterans records from the VA. The VA says, okay, here you go. Here's the service records. Here's the prior exams. We're going to copy you on communication. We're going to let you know what's going on in the process. And that way, because you are representing the veteran, you got to know what's going on as well so that you can speak for the veteran, right? So when you have an unaccredited rep kind of operating outside that framework, let's just put aside that that itself is illegal. Well, then how does that unaccredited rep get that information? That's what Chris was alluding to. Now they're dipping into, um, they're calling the VA pretending to be the veteran, giving the PII so that the, the VA operators think that they're actually talking to the veteran so they can give them a status on the case. They're, they're accessing medical records in improper ways, bank accounts in, in proper ways. So the need is still there. You, as a representative, you got to you got to know the information to do your job, right? But this, the fact that they're operating outside the framework just lends to more rule breaking, right, or or law breaking, and, and so it's just a snowball effect. Terribly important to point out is the Guard Act is widely supported, both congressionally and what what I I just find beautiful is. State attorney generals, okay, they uh, many of them have signed a, a letter of support for the Guard Act, and the reason is is kind of twofold, I think. Uh, one is, if you're a veteran and you're dealing with one of these unaccredited reps and you're seeing this behavior, like Chris and I have described, you do you might have a remedy through your state law uh, under consumer protection. Or sometimes some states have specific veteran protection laws, okay? And that's almost always quarterbacked by your state attorney general's office. So, so seek them out because they may be able to do something. It really depends. It's state by state. Some laws are more, some states have more robust laws. Some states have more resources to dedicate to pursue these bad actors than others. But when you explain this problem to the attorney generals, they get it. it and, and, and I don't think they hesitate to sign on to this letter of support. And when you read the list of states here, I know everything today just seems like it's a Republican versus Democrat issue. I'll just read off the states real quick. You have California, you have Georgia, you have Florida, you have Michigan, you have Nevada, you have Mississippi, you have Louisiana, New Hampshire, New York. I mean, North Carolina, North Dakota, Idaho, Oklahoma. So these, that's just the small list, right? So and we all have our assumptions, which state is that a red state or blue state? You know, I did my best there just to divide it up quickly between the two. It's it, it it's not a, a Republican versus Democrat issue. It's a, hey, we've already figured this problem out. Uh, when you represent somebody, there are certain guidelines legally that you have to follow. Right. That, that's just how it is, right? We're not reinventing the wheel here. It's It's not a red yeah. and blue issue. It's a red, white and blue issue. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's a good way of saying it too, Dean. And I think um, I've, I've heard that before and I like that one. I think we, we make as a nation, we make a commitment um, to people that go off to, 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 to fight. Uh, we make a commitment. My grandfather fought in the Battle of the Bulge um, in World War II. 
uh, and we made a commitment to him that when he came back, we would take care of him, we would take care of his family and help him restabilize and reintegrate. And part of that promise and part of that commitment is ensuring that the people that help veterans, that they're not just in it for a quick buck, uh, that they're in it to, to do right by the people that stood on a line that, that, that very few people these days do stand on. And I think that's really the thing when I look at the difference between the Guard and the PLUS Act, I see the Guard Act as saying, I'm standing and living up to that promise that we as a nation have made to the people, to the uh, men, women, um, and, and all of our non-binary vets uh, who are serving, uh, that, that we're going to stand up for them when they come home. We're going to help them get the absolute best, most competent representation that is is not in this to get rich, but is that is in this to do it for helping um, our, our brothers and sisters and, and our non-binary veterans uh, to get the benefits that, as we started at the, the top of the show, that they've earned uh, by their service. Chris and Brett, that is what it's all about. And I cannot thank you enough for sharing your experience. Before we go, uh, if if you are a veteran, maybe you're having as tough a time, Chris, as you did when you came out of the service. Maybe you're just looking uh, to see what's available there for those bad knees. Where do you send veterans who are looking for help? Or where where are the best resources to go uh, to find out to get uh, those benefits that you've earned as a veteran? I think I, I would say, and I'll let Brett kind of fill in here after this, but I think the most important thing for any veteran who's getting out of service, the first thing is you got to get your boots on the ground in, in civilian life. Um, so get out to meet a VSO, talk to them about what you need. If you don't like the VSO you're talking to, there's a lot of other ones. There's a lot of variety out there. There's a lot of options. And those VSOs can connect you to county, city, local, state housing benefits, education, child care support, all these different benefits. And they can also talk to you about filing the claims you need um, that will found the, the, create the foundation to get those benefits. So I, I think that's the first thing. But the most important thing, I think, for all veterans is all this claims business aside. The most important thing for veterans is to get in, get your boots on the ground, get some friends in the community, build a support network, because this stuff is going to be tough, not just the reintegration but getting your benefits, medical situations, medical conditions. We learn so much more about them every single day. Um, and what we know about PTSD today pales in comparison to what we you know, knew about it 10 years ago. And so get, get on the ground, make some friends, build yourself into the community, talk to a VSO, get connected into the local community of veterans. And that's where you're going to find the support. And, and just for the love of God, please make sure that when you work with somebody to help you with an appeal, make sure that the VA has put their accreditation stamp of approval on that individual, because you'll have recourse to so many more remedies if something goes wrong. And you'll most likely get much higher quality uh, representation from an accredited VA representative or an attorney. I'll just add a little bit to that. Um, definitely want to echo, there's a lot of local benefits and organizations, both at the, the local government level, local non-government level, and it could be daunting, but it feels like once um, you kind of crack the seal on one, then you just kind of learn through networking these other organizations that are out there. But I will say, you know, for a living, I routinely disagree with the Department of Veteran Affairs in their determinations. It's what I do for a living. Veterans come to me, they have a decision they're not happy with. With that said, do go to the VA, okay? And, and, and I'll just do some quick education for the veteran um, because it is confusing. The VA does split between healthcare and benefits. They are kind of two distinct entities within the VA. So establish contact with both and understand that they're both separate. Meaning that if you're going to the VA for your medical care and you're talking to your doctors, your nurses, your physician assistants, 
they're, they're going to help you a little bit with your claims, but they, they're not going to, that's not their job. Their job is to treat, treat you for what, what's, what you're dealing with from a physical and mental capacity. The claim side, that's where your GI bill is. That's where the VA compensation service connected disability benefit is that's on the claim side. Okay. And that is a different side of VA and just be aware of that, but I would establish contact in both and understand that while they're a federal agency and, and government could be slow and cumbersome, I've had a lot of veterans tell me that some of the best care they're getting at from a medical perspective is at the VA compared to the private doctors. It, the VA has made improvements. They are continuously trying to improve. Myself and Chris are always there to quickly point out when they make a mistake, but nonetheless, they are uh, trying to do their best to put one foot in, in front of the other as an organization, and they do help veterans. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for not only for your service in our armed forces here on Veterans Day, but thank you for your service in terms of the work you were doing, helping our veterans navigate uh, this very complex benefits system. I, I agree with you, Brett, that the, the VA is trying to do good work. Uh, they do need to be held accountable, uh, but there's a lot of good folks out there doing great work. Chris Attic. Brett Buchanan, thank you both for joining me here on 14th and G. Thank you, Dean, and, and have a happy Veterans Day and get out and do some service. Thank you, Dean, for having us. Thanks for listening to today's podcast, brought to you by the lobbying firm of Melman Consulting. For more, just type 14th and G podcast into your favorite search engine or look for 14th and G wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Beam me up, Mr. Speaker.